Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. It's the 28th of April, 1948, and inside Pennsylvania University is a 30-ton machine that's slowly coming to life. It's called the ENIAC, E-N-I-A-C. 18,000 vacuum tubes are heating up. Panels of lights begin to flash around the room. The ENIAC has recently been rewired according to a new design for what the computers of the future might look like. Thousands of switches have been set to give it its first set of instructions under the new design. Over the coming days, this machine will crunch through equations that predict the path neutrons will take inside nuclear weapons. In far-off Los Alamos, Edward Teller and other leading nuclear weapons designers are waiting eagerly for the results. Right here, right now, is the moment when the first modern computer program is about to run. The computer program that is at the bottom of a family tree on whose upper branches sit every app on your phone, all the many wonders of our computer age. And standing nervously beside a bank of switches is the woman who wrote that very first computer code, the extraordinary Clara von Neumann. Hello and welcome to Patented. It's my podcast about the history of inventions from History Hits. I'm Dallas Campbell. Dallas Campbell with a cold, as you can probably hear. So apologies for sniffling and snuffling my way through this introduction. When we recorded this, I didn't have a cold. So things are going to sound a bit better in a moment. But to mark International Women's Day, we are bringing you the extraordinary story of Clara von Neumann and the ENIAC computer. Her part in the history of computing has been overlooked until recently, overshadowed perhaps by the achievements of her famous husband, John von Neumann. Now historians are giving her the recognition she deserves. Joining me to talk about this is Onono Bhattacharya. Onono wrote a really wonderful book about John von Neumann called The Man from the Future and has championed Clara and her work. <laughs>
And Anno, welcome to the show. It's lovely to have you with me. Just as a prefix before we start, there is a man outside my window who is currently moving a leaf, I would think, from A to B using a very, very sophisticated piece of technology that unfortunately makes a lot of noise and burns a lot of petrol. So I apologise if you can hear noisy stuff like that. <laughs> You'll hear it. Honestly, who invented the leaf blower? We're going to do an episode on that and name and shame that human being. <laughs> Use a broom, for God's sake. Anyway, let's crack on. Have you just written a book about John von Neumann? When did it come out? Hi, Dallas. Thanks for having me on. The book was called The Man from the Future, and it was released in Britain back in October 2021. I don't want to concentrate too much on John von Neumann, but he was such a massive figure in the world of mathematics and computing. And more than that, I always think of von Neumann probes and other kind of, sort of esoteric things like that. But just briefly before we get on to his wife, Clara. Just tell us who John von Neumann was. Yeah, so he's born in Budapest at the turn of last century, and it's pretty clear from very early on that he's a prodigy and mathematics is his thing. And he ends up sort of being at the centre of various scientific and mathematical developments over the next 40 years or so, including the atom bomb, quantum mechanics, he lays down kind of the mathematics, really, of quantum mechanics. Easy stuff, basic stuff. All the easy stuff. And he proves mathematically the machines can reproduce themselves. That's a self-reproducing automata. He moves to the States and he works at the same institute as Einstein. And everybody who knows them says, oh, yeah, von Neumann, so much more clever than Einstein. So we're in Los Alamos. I was reading a book about it, actually. There's a really interesting book called Command and Control by Eric Schlosser, which is all about those sort of heady days in Los Alamos. You know, you have all these amazing people working there, people like von Neumann. It seemed like quite a kind of party town as well, from all accounts, even though it was like the most secret thing ever, the Manhattan Project. They had a good time out there in the desert, these mathematicians and the wives and everyone else. Yeah, that's right. I mean, they were allowed to bring their wives in. The wives had to contribute to doing computations on slide rules and so on and punch cards. There's this Central European, largely Jewish kind of emigre population, and they were used to living well and drinking lots. And, you know, there was poker played and chess and all sorts of They were having fun in there. And of course, you know, the idea was that they were, of course, trying to beat the Nazis to the bomb. So there was a massive sense of urgency among them there as well. Why were, why are the Hungarians so good at maths? It's really interesting that that particular time you had this great influx of amazing brains, amazing minds doing stuff. Well, of course, so many of them were Jewish. And around that time in Budapest, Budapest was absolutely roaring. I mean, it was a cultural hub. It was part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. It was the second capital. And very unusually for the time, it was quite tolerant towards Jews. Now, historically, it turns out that the upper classes in Hungary were quite keen to have Jewish people in positions of kind of authority, or at least in professional jobs that they didn't want to do themselves. You know, the banking and law and medicine. And to act as a sort of buffer between themselves and the rest of this unruly empire. So that was another reason. And then, of course, third, there were these brilliant, rather elite schools, mostly for boys, it has to be said. And where von Neumann got his start, along with Teller and Eugene Wigner and so many of those other figures that came out at the time, 
Anyway, let's crack on. So we're in Budapest. So Budapest, we've got this great influx of fantastic Jewish mathematicians that come from Budapest, somehow spirited over to America, ended up in Los Alamos. Is it because of the war they leave Budapest and come to America? How did that sort of happen? Yeah, I mean, things were getting bad for them from 1933. And von Neumann, of course, sees the Second World War coming. And he makes some pretty spot on predictions and letters to various people over the mid to late 30s. And in 1930, he is given the offer of a job by Princeton and jumps at the chance because, you know, Central Europe at the time is teeming with amazing mathematicians and physicists. And, you know, they're all wanting positions and there's very few of them. It's obviously harder as a Jew to get a job anyway. So many of these academics were beginning to leave anyway during the 30s. And then, of course, Hitler makes it impossible for Jews to hold any kind of job at all. So then the influx into America and Britain really kicked off. But von Neumann was long gone by then. Okay. And his wife, which is what this episode is about, his wife, Clara, or Clary, how do we pronounce it? I know her nickname, if you like, was Clary. Yes, that's right. It's Clara Dan. And uh, I'm not going to even attempt Hungarian pronunciations throughout this because it's one of the toughest languages. <laughs> Let's just talk about how they met because she was married like twice before that she met Johnny von Neumann, I think. Or Yeah, so she was born in 1911. So she's a few years younger than von Neumann. They meet for the first time in Monte Carlo, of all places. Of all places. Mathematicians will know the significance of Monte Carlo. Well, quite. And of course, von Neumann and Clara get involved in exactly that, as we'll come to later. But she's married to an inveterate gambler called Ferenc Engel. And she had married him when she was just 19. And he's busy gambling away their money. And she's bored. You know, despite living the high life amongst all these wealthy, interesting people she's bought. And von Neumann has a system with which he's trying to kind of play the roulette wheel. And the system, he tells her, is completely failsafe. <laughs> well, I thought he was a good mathematician. No mathematician that thinks that <laughs> roulettes are failsafe. Uh, well, you see, gambling is a dangerous addiction for everybody. So he loses all his money and he joins her at the bar and says, you know, will you buy me a drink? So she buys him a drink and they have this amazing chat, but they're both married. And von Neumann is married to Marriott Cavesi, who's his childhood sweetheart. And of course, you know, Clara is married to Engel. And so, you know, they have this amazing conversation, but then they go their separate ways. Shortly afterwards, Clara gets divorced from Engel. And she says, my father bought it for me. That's a very kind gift, a divorce. Yeah, I mean, the marriage is a disaster, obviously. And in the summer of 1937, von Neumann is in the midst, I think, of getting divorced from his first wife, who has left him for a younger man because she's just tired of him thinking about maths. <laughs> That's an interesting grounds of divorce. It's like, Your Honour, it was the maths <laughs> that did it. So he's in the midst of getting a divorce. Unfortunately, he turns up in Budapest in the summer of 37 and meets Clary again, but Clary's remarried. And this time she's married a banker who's 20 years older than her, clearly. <laughs> this is also a bit of a disaster. And again, she's bored. And so she meets this incredible polymath and they you know, drink lots of coffee and talk about politics and various other things. To cut a long story short, Clary and von Neumann get together and end up in America. 
Hey, the, an interesting side note I read about her was that she was a figure skater, like a really good figure skater, a national champion or something. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So at 14, she's a national figure skating champion. She has no interest at all in science as a child. And throughout her life, she's painfully self-deprecating. She kept these remarkable sort of diaries, which unusually for a diary is about almost everybody except herself. Obviously, she meets these remarkable geniuses at Los Alamos and so on. Yeah, well, that self-deprecating thing is interesting because doesn't she describe herself, and we're going to get into this now, but as the sort of experimental rabbit of von Neumann's work? Because the language she uses about herself does seem to be very self-deprecating. She never considers herself as a genius or brilliant or quite the opposite. No, no, not at all. In fact, she describes herself as a mathematical moron. Me too. <laughs> yeah, me too. That's worrying. <laughs> You've painted the scene for us beautifully. How do we get from that to Clary writing the very first computer code? Like, What's going on? What's the story? So after the war, Los Alamos is desperate for computing power because the next thing is, of course, the hydrogen bomb. Building bigger bombs. So we've had Nagasaki and Hiroshima, Fat Man, Little Boy are the two bombs. We now get onto fusion bombs, which are a lot more powerful. Yeah. So von Neumann is convinced that the Soviet Union is developing a hydrogen bomb. And we find out that he's right. One of his friends is Edward Teller, who's a complete nut. I mean, Teller is very much the big advocate of the hydrogen bomb, which he calls the super now, Los Alamos is desperate for computing power, not just for the hydrogen bomb, but also to refine the atom bomb. So von Neumann, who's had an interest in computing machines for a long time, he is sent all over the country to look for more and more computing power. Now, the first computers that are being built at this time were kind of mechanical devices using sort of mechanical switches rather than valves and diodes and stuff. Now, largely, in fact, I think completely, these early computers were usually built for one task and one task only. And if you wanted them to do something else, you sort of had to rewire them. You know, we think of computers, we think of our computers. They were not what we're thinking. We're talking about things that didn't have a language. They didn't even have memory. If you wanted to program them, you had a bit like a telephone operator in the olden days. You'd have cables you'd have to sort of pull out and such. There was no sort of computer language or anything like that. Yeah, that's right. And you'd feed them stuff on punch cards and do the calculations and spit them out at the other end. But there was something happening in Princeton. There was a computer, which is kind of central to the story, I think, the ENIAC computer which was something a little bit different, something a little bit novel and exciting. Yes. So this was not at Princeton. This was at the Moore School in Philadelphia. And von Neumann hears about this by accident, which is remarkable. And it's a mystery as to why he wasn't told about this machine, which is an electronic digital computer. But it's, again, been built for one task, which was calculating trajectories of shells. I'm interested, like, is this computer ENIAC, is this the first computer? When I think about sort of first computers, I think about Alan Turing and such. So what's different about this that says, okay, this is what computer 1.0? Yeah, I'm going to keep saying that Alan Turing had very little to do with computers. People won't believe me. 
But (laughs) (laughs) whatever you do when you talk about the history of computer, I just know I'm going to get shouted at by somebody. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. But tell us about ENIAC then and why it was special. Yeah. So the ENIAC was not a programmable computer. So it's not a modern computer. It's built for this one task. Now, if every time we wanted to switch apps on our smartphones, we had to rewire it, I think you can understand that they probably wouldn't have taken off in the same way. So it wasn't configured in the way that we know of really as a modern computer. And again, it was using this kind of old fashioned telephone switchboard type thing. And it was built to calculate these trajectories. Now, unfortunately, progress on it was pretty slow and the war was almost over, I think, by the time it really got going calculating these trajectories. Wait, pause the war while we fix our computer. <laughs> and von Neumann hears about this on a railway platform from a guy called Hermann Goldstein, who's a mathematician, but also the army liaison to the ENIAC project. And he's famous. And his wife was another amazing woman who did crazy maths and amazing computing stuff back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Adele Goldstein, I think she had a a master's in mathematics. And she was involved in the ENIAC project, I think, from fairly early on and was part of the team that was sort of wiring up the ENIAC. And she knew the ENIAC inside out. But I think the key as far as Clara Dan goes is that at the time, ENIAC is not a programmable computer. And it was massive as well. We should sort of point out this really was just a massive metal box, thousands of vacuum tubes inside, switches, lights. This was not a computer as we would recognise it. It's room filling, basically. It lines the wall of a rather large room. And as one of the programmers said, I think the ENIAC, you know, you talk about computers now as being portable, but the ENIAC was a machine that you sort of had to live inside. It was truly massive. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Over on the Warfare Podcast by History Hit, we bring you brand new military histories from around the world. Each week, twice a week, we release new episodes with world-leading historians, expert policymakers, and the veterans who served. From the greatest tanks of the Second World War 
And so what are you actually trying to get out of your tank? You're trying to get maneuverability and you're trying to get a really big gun. Your Tiger and your Pampa are there to dominate the battlefield, primarily on the Eastern Front and in the North Africa and all that sort of stuff. But by the time they're actually coming in in decent numbers, that moment has already passed. Through to new histories that help us understand current conflicts, any invader, any attacker, any adversary will exploit gaps within society. It was true then, it's true today. But the Finns signaled that they were united, and I think that's what the Ukrainians should signal today too. Subscribe to Warfare from History Hit wherever you get your podcasts and join us on the front lines of military history. We said it was a little bit like the telephone operators with cables in order to make this thing work. And those operations were all done by women. There was the group called the ENIAC-6, these women who knew the computer intimately and would do all this work with these cables that I suppose considered rather menial work. And of course, we have to rethink that. That's exactly right. And in fact, there's the historian Thomas Haig, who's mentioned in my book quite a lot as well. And he finds that not only were women involved in the programming side of things, as in the plugs and figuring out how to make a new program go. They were also involved in the engineering side from early on. So they actually built the machine. And of course, you know, the male engineers were senior in the project and they were designing the machine and so on. But it was actually women that ended up building the machine as well as then programming it. So what did Clary do? I suppose what was John von Neumann had a particular interest in this. He could see the potential of this. And actually, I think tried to redesign the ENIAC computer for his own uses to make it more programmable, to improve its memory and that kind of thing. Yeah, so the war's over and von Neumann bumps into Goldstein. Goldstein says, oh, you've got to come and take a look. And immediately von Neumann sort of involves himself in the project. Now, the ENIAC was the brainchild of Presper Eckert and John Morchley. And Eckert's this kind of electronics whiz kid who's the son of a local property millionaire. And John Morshley is a physics teacher who's sort of retrained to help the American war effort. And they all sort of sit around discussing the limitations of the ENIAC. And then von Neumann is sent away to write up a report about the next generation computer, which is going to be called the EDVAC. I want to just pause there because we can go down all these sort of rabbit holes. And I just want to bring you back and I want to talk about Clary. What was it that Clary did that was so extraordinary? I mean, I'm looking at a piece of paper now which has two columns of numbers that she wrote down, which is regarded as this sort of first bit of computer code. What was it? What did she do? That piece of paper is the first modern computer program and it's written in machine code in binary. Now, why is that the first modern computer program? Well, it's just a piece of paper, lined piece of paper with two columns of numbers on. That's what I'm looking at, just for our listeners. Okay. Yeah. And those are computer instructions written basically in binary. So it's not like a computer language. It's not like Python or BASIC. No, no, they didn't have BASIC or Fortran even at that stage. This was the hard stuff. You were coding instructions for your computer in binary. So that's what she did. Now, the reason that this is the first proper computer program is because in that EDVAC report, which von Neumann wrote and then Goldstein circulated, is the design of the first modern programmable computer. And that becomes a blueprint for every single computer, pretty much down to the present day, including your smartphone, which runs on something now called the von Neumann architecture. 
And essentially, this is a beast that has a large working memory. It doesn't depend on punch cards. And then you feed the program into the memory and the instructions come in and out of the memory to the central processing unit. And if your computer is slow and, you know, it starts rolling round and round in circles, that's called a von Neumann bottleneck. And that's because the instructions... Well, the spinning beach ball that I get on my Mac, I can blame von Neumann for that. Yeah, so the instructions come in and out of memory to the central processor. And it's like, you know, passing a chain of instructions down a long line. Sometimes there's a traffic jam. And that's why you get your annoying rolling thing on your Mac. Okay, this machine code, why did she write it? What was she doing that day when she wrote it? She woke up, what happened? Right, so von Neumann with Stan Ulam had come up with this method called the Monte Carlo simulations. These were the first computer simulations and they used the power of randomness to simulate physical processes. And they're used millions of times a day, I think, now in finance. We still use it. I mean, the Monte Carlo, it's a statistical modeling thing. Right, and its first use was in modeling the path of neutrons through basically a fissile material, through plutonium or whatever, or uranium. And so it was being used in order to trace the path through. And he goes, well, who can I get, you know, to write these computer programs? Somebody that, you know, enjoys the bonhomie of Los Alamos who is respected and known amongst all the Hungarians and who can keep military secrets. Well, my wife. It wasn't the fact that she was good at maths. It was all the other sort of attributes. The fact that she was there, had top secret clearance, presumably, was living in Los Alamos, was bright, could do all this stuff. It wasn't regarded as this sort of groundbreaking thing, the ability to write the machine. No, and in fact, von Neumann would later actually push back at the idea that you even needed higher order programming languages. He thought you could all do it in machine code because that's how his brain works. So he doesn't think a maths background is at all you know, necessary for this. And in fact... Part of it was sort of proving a point that you didn't need to do maths. But there's no doubt that Clara herself, despite the personal sort of put downs about herself, had, you know, a razor like mind herself. Yeah, well, so one day she wrote this very, very first piece of code. And it is that code that is the forefather, the origins, the ground zero of everything else. And it was designed in order to model neutrons in order to detonate a hydrogen bomb. So we can thank the Manhattan Project and hydrogen bombs and nuclear weapons for our current smartphones. Crikey. Yeah, and not only did she write the code, she turns up at the ENIAC and helps to run the code along with Nick Metropolis, who's a physicist from Los Alamos, and the crew of women that were involved. And in fact, she also helps to rewire the ENIAC into its configuration as this first properly programmable computer. And her code then runs, and it's successful. I think there's a bug in it, actually, that gets ironed out. And so she's there. And because time on the ENIAC is so precious... They pretty much have to work without a break. They work through the night. She hardly sleeps and they have to submit the code and then submit the data with punch cards. And then the punch card goes through and then the computer spits out the path of the neutron through the uranium. And then they have to collate these. And there's 
you know, thousands of punch cards that go through the system. We look at that now and, you know, obviously our world is run by algorithms and computers. And so the origins of that takes on this significance. But was there a perceived significance by her of what she had done at that time, do you think? Or was it just another day in the office? I just happened to jot down two rows of numbers on a bit of paper. I think she did know later because she writes about it in her journal. But I don't think she realises because nobody knew that she had written this first complex code. Why did no one know? Who even found this story? So much was, of course, top secret. And what Clara Dan's program did was actually used by Los Alamos to design nuclear weapons. And then later, she came back for more runs. And the final run that she did would be to help design a hydrogen bomb. Wow. I mean, her place in history then is not insignificant, I would argue. And yet all of her work ended up in a box in the Library of Congress and was pretty much forgotten about until it was discovered, I guess, relatively recently. That's right. We have rediscovered so many women that have contributed to the history of computing. But strangely, the first author of the very first modern computer program, you know, had loops and things like that in it, which, you know, you can see in modern computer programs presaged so many of the things that were to come, she was kind of forgotten about. You know, I wouldn't even say she was overshadowed by her husband, because in a way, he was also forgotten about. But thanks to, you know, the historians who have come back and found this script again, we can really look and appreciate her for what she did. She didn't stay with John von Neumann. I know that after his death, I think she remarried again and she ended up moving to California. She had a really tragic end to her life and it's a rather sad footnote to the story. She stayed with von Neumann. Von Neumann dies tragically early in his 50s, in 1957, I think. And she remarries for the fourth time to a geophysicist and they move to La Jolla. Now, she's always been plagued by depression and she thought it ran in her family and she was always terrified that she would be visited by that illness herself and her father who was this man of influence in Hungary he didn't take to his life in the states and on his very first Christmas just before Christmas day he steps in front of a train and committed suicide and that plunged Clara Dan into this Black Depression. One day she set out in the middle of the night and she walked into the Pacific Ocean, weighed down with several kilos of sand in the pockets of her dress. They were sleeping in separate rooms. Her husband didn't know that she'd done this, but there were signs of alcohol and sleeping tablets before she had done this deed. It's an incredibly tragic end, yeah. It's a really, really tragic story. Where is the information about Clary? Where did you come up with the information? Where did you find it? If our listeners want to find out more, where can we point them? So this is really difficult. So my sources included ENIAC in Action, which I've mentioned by Tom Haig, and that really details her work and why what she did was important. Uh, before that, Turing's Cathedral, which was a book by Dyson, which is excellent, and that mentioned some of her work. But though... Dyson, I think, was unaware of just exactly what Clara had done. But there's a few personal details there. Now, what we know is from a lot of Clara's own journals. Now, unfortunately, she doesn't write very much about herself. And those journals are 
they're all a jumble. She switches freely between Hungarian, English, and other languages. And I believe her handwriting is extremely hard to read. And on top of which, the material about herself is quite hard to find because she's so busy talking about other people. It's that line about she describes herself as an experimental rabbit which I just find really interesting, like her perception of herself. She doesn't have a lot of self-confidence, I suppose. You know, as you say, she describes herself as a mathematical moron and all these things. And yet her work is so utterly fundamental (laughs) to the way that we now live. It's quite extraordinary that this story has been comparatively recently discovered. Onono, thank you so much for coming on the show and just filling us in on this story. It's absolutely fascinating. She's an amazing character, amazing story. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's a pleasure being on. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that show. I certainly did. It was absolutely fascinating and rather emotional too. Apologies for sniffing and snorting in the introduction and now. Hopefully next time you hear from me, I won't be talking like this. Also, don't forget to get in touch if you've got a suggestion for a topic we should cover. You can email us at patented at history. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. While I still have you, very briefly, if you fancy getting all of the History Hit podcast archive and new episodes ad-free, along with hundreds of history documentaries to watch, download our app across Apple App Store, Google Play and smart TV platforms. Follow the link in the show notes or go to historyhit.com slash subscribe. There is thousands of hours of history on there, including a documentary on science in the Middle Ages with Seb Falk, and also one with me talking about the secret history of the space race. As a patented listener, you get a special gift if you use the code PATENTED at the checkout. You get 50% off your first three months. That's patented for 50% off your first three months. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free podcast episodes within the Apple app.